Let's read together 2 Samuel 15, page 314 in your pew Bibles. The Antichrist Absalom, though good-looking, is ugly in his heart. He's opposed to David, David's son, and it's a hostile takeover. And now he's got followers who are saying, long live King Absalom, Absalom is king. And now what is David going to do? We read of David's response to this hostile takeover by the Antichrist who wants to take over the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. Page 314, we read at verse 12 that while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite and David's counselor from his city Gilo and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee. Let us flee. Or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him. And all the Carathites and all the Pelathites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, Whatever, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by and the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz your son and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went barefoot with his head covered 
And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Well, David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped. Behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I've been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. This is God's word, brothers and sisters. It's for us, for our instruction and encouragement in the faith and our correction, and may he bless us by it today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Absalom the thief, a false shepherd, first stole his way into the country without repentance, and then stole his way into David's house. And then remember, he stole his way into the people's hearts. They grabbed onto this good-looking false shepherd. They believed his lies. And now he is stealing his way to the throne of Christ. David's throne is Christ's throne. This is a hostile takeover of God's kingdom by the Antichrist. Can it succeed? Will it succeed? What will happen? And I want to say to David, fight back, man. Don't give this to him. Believe God's promises. It's yours. Don't you want to say that? David leaves. David flees. But what we learn in this passage is that this is not an act of cowardice. It's not David calling it quits. This is an act of faith. David hands the kingdom over to the one who owns it, God, and trusts him to take care of this properly. And we see both in David's strength, but also in David's weakness, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is such a comfort for believers. When you're strong, as a believer, you know Jesus' presence. But where is he when you're weak? He's there with you. His presence goes with you then too. We see that in David. He's not left you. He never leaves or forsakes his children. So here we encounter David's submission to God. Then his sorrow. And then his security. First then his submission. David submits to God. Verse 14, then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee. 
or else there'll be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Why did he flee? Well, the first and most obvious reason to save his people. Not just to save the city from ruin, but Absalom from destroying the city with the sword. That means blood, killing the people of God. is to protect the sheep. This is the heart of the shepherd for his people. But there's more to the story of why he fled. And we have a, a peek into that a little later in the chapter. If you look at 25 and 26, jump ahead to verses 25 and 26, where the king says to Zadok, when Zadok and Abiathar are going to take the ark away and go with David? No. No. Carry the ark back into the city. Here's what he says. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord will bring me back. And let me see both it, the ark, and it's his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do what seems to me, what seems good to him. This goes back to 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan the prophet comes to rebuke David for his sins against God, Uriah, Bathsheba, and the people of Israel. And David repents, and he, Nathan says, you've sinned, the Lord has forgiven your sin. But David also announces, or Nathan also announces consequences the sword will not depart from your household nor from your descendant's household. There'll be consequences. There'll be upheaval. There'll be conflict. That's the will of the Lord. David knows that his hour has come to face those consequences for real. And he submits to the will of the Lord. The Lord wants to do this for my sake, for his glory's sake, for Christ's sake, for his kingdom's sake. And I accept that. You know, sometimes we can fight the consequences of our sin. And we can fight God and tell him it's not fair and so on. No. Don't be afraid. David knows he's forgiven. He knows the father is dealing with him as a son. Hebrews 12 says, when the father disciplines you, don't take it lightly on the one hand, but don't lose heart on the other like God hates you. He disciplines those whom he loves. He, he's disciplining you for your holiness. David knows that God is shaping his life, making him more Christ-like, strengthening him to become a better king. He knows that he's in good hands. I give myself to God's hands. For God will do what's good. You see, submission to God is not giving up. God, I give up. You do what you want, I give up. It's not about that at all. Submission is about giving yourself over to the Lord to say, I will go where you lead. Because I know that where you're leading me, even though it's through a valley... is good it's good for me it's good for your kingdom for your people and it's good for the glory of your name so this is a submission of faith 
And it's so beautiful in David's life. Look what happens next. As David leaves the city with his household, he, he's, he's the head, the king. And he leaves his ten concubines back to take care of things. We'll, we'll hear about them later again. But, and, and a number of loyal servants go with him. But then David stops. As he comes to the last house, as he's heading out of the east side of the city, he stops. And he has everybody go past him and go in front of him. And now he's the back of the pack. I'm no longer king. And he even calls Absalom king. For now, in the plan of God, the foe is the king. It's remarkable. So there they go. The servants pass by him. Who are they? Look at verse 18. All the Carathites. Who are those guys? See them? The Pelathites. Who are those guys? And the Gittites. 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath. And they passed on before the king. Now you know where these guys are from. They're Philistines. Later when David talks to Ittai, he, he speaks of these guys as foreigners. We don't know exactly where the Pelathites and the Carathites come from. The, their names seem to be of Philistine origin. But we know from etymology. But we know for sure the Gittites are from the capital city of the Philistines, Gath. You remember David had stayed there for a time, taking refuge from Saul the hunter who was trying to kill him. What's David doing there? Evangelism. He's promoting the kingdom of Christ among the Philistines. The Philistines would never join David if they did not believe the gospel. They were enemies. Oh, but they, he, he paid them for it. Paid these guys to walk out with him? They're loyal to the kingdom. Even more loyal than a lot of Israelites in that time. He did evangelism. He said, you know, the promise of salvation is with our nation. And one day there's a Messiah coming. It's not Saul. Saul was king at that time when he was in Gath. And it's not me. It's someone greater. And with him, you're going to find forgiveness of all your sins and eternal life. You have a future. And 600 Gittites joined him. And Pelethites joined him. And Carathites. And now we read in another place, these guys are his bodyguards. They're front line of the kingdom. They're not second class citizens. Even though of their Philistine descent. It's amazing. The grace of God is amazing. What it does to us. They're, they're in the same line with the rest of the Israelites. And then David talks to Ittai. And he says, are you sure you want to come with me? This, is, this, could, this might be a bad road. I don't know what's leading, he says to him. You, know, you just joined Israel a little while ago. Why don't you, you take yourself and your people and, and go back? Stick with Absalom. What does Ittai say, verse 21? Wherever my lord the king shall be, whether 
for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Ruth, the Moabites. No way we're hanging out with the Antichrist. No way that we're joining his ranks. We're on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're his representative. We're staying with you. It's a beautiful story of loyalty and God is calling us to be Ittites, Carathites, Pelathites, Gittites, loyal subjects to Jesus Christ, that when the going gets tough, you don't desert your master. You say, well, Lord, if that's what it means to follow you, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going where it's easy. No. Our life is bound up with you, Jesus where you are there is life. Even if we should die, with you there is life. Amazing. And Ittai took all his little ones too. The baby carriages, the toddlers, they all came along. My whole household's going with you. I'm committing the next generation to you too. And then we read of sorrow. As David leaves the city, there is weeping, weeping, weeping. Look at verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron. And all the people passed on toward the wilderness, the whole land. Can you imagine the leaders of the tribes threw in their lot with Absalom, but a lot of the common people did not want that. The whole land is weeping, and David and his servants are weeping. And then we read that Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, came after them with their sons, Ahimaaz and Jonathan, carrying the ark of God. And David sent them back. Why? Why? He did not want to pull a Hophni and Phinehas that the temple or the ark is going to be my piece of magic that guarantees me victory. You go back. The ark belongs in the city. Remember what the ark is, the throne of God? This is such an act of faith. It's David saying, oh, I know Absalom has taken the throne but God is not yet done with the kingdom of Israel. He still rules this land. Absalom is under him and God will do with him whatever he pleases. Sometimes it looks like Satan is taking over the kingdom of Christ and darkness reigns. But our ark, who is now Jesus, is on the throne and he will dispose of his enemies in every, any way that he wants to. And the enemy will not win the victory. That will be the outcome of all this hostile takeover by Antichrist.
And then we have a second mention of weeping. Look at verse 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Does this ring a bell? David betrayed, leaving the city east, crossing the brook Kidron, going up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. Does that ring a bell? If you go to John 18 and other parts of the Bible, that's exactly the route that David's son, Jesus Christ, took. He was betrayed by his close disciple, Judas, left eastward out of the city, crossed the brook Kidron, and entered a garden. Gethsemane. David is in Gethsemane here. Literally, Gethsemane. A garden, foothills of Mount, on the foot of Mount Olives as you, as you ascend. It wasn't called Gethsemane then, but it's the literal, same location as Gethsemane, and our Lord Jesus wept there says there, as he entered that garden, he began to be sorrowful and distressed. And he said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Jesus took this via dolorosa, this road of sorrows that David took ahead of him as a type. But Jesus took it all the way to death and Jesus took it not for his own sin or the consequence of his sins, but for ours. He wept for us. He paid the consequences of our sins. He took our suffering upon himself and he submitted himself to the Father's will to go even to death on a cross. This is a picture of our Lord Jesus. And do you remember what God said to David through Nathan, right? The sword won't depart from your household or your descendants. And as you look through the line of the kings, you read that and you say, man, this is messy stuff. How could the kings live like that? It's the sword, it's the sword, it's the sword. That doesn't get resolved until Jesus takes the sword. He took that sword and he paid the price. He went the whole way for us. And brothers and sisters, in this word and at the table, Jesus tells you, I have gone the whole way for you. I was cut off from you, for you. I was sent out of the city for you. I wept for you. I suffered for you. I was rejected by you. David had friends, but I went alone for you. I was forsaken by God for you. The father turned his face away from me for you. So that you may know that in all your sorrows and sufferings, even as David did in his, the father never turns his face away from you, beloved. Jesus took that from you. Whatever sorrows and sufferings you have are no longer a punishment. Jesus took that from you. They're now a promotion. Whether you're suffering as consequence of your own sin or you're just suffering for other reasons, 
The Father is shaping you with his hammer and chisel into the form of Jesus Christ. He's bringing glory to his name. He's advancing his kingdom. And in some way, he's dealing with the enemy. And and this is really God. He's setting up Absalom for a major fall. Though Absalom thinks he's winning, he's not at all. God has a plan. A perfect plan. Let's trust him to be doing what is good and right even when God brings us through the veil of tears. Do you trust him? Will you submit your life to him in confidence that this will lead to the glory of the kingdom. We see that thirdly, the security of David. Look at David here at the end of chapter 15. Again, this is so amazing. It seems like David has lost everything. God has taken everything away from him. He's taken away the throne, the city, the kingdom. All that he's been given, all that he's dreamed about, all that he's worked so hard for, all that he's invested his life in, gone. Just a few friends left. And they're leaving everything too. Gone. He's sees that even his trusted advisor, counselor, Ahithophel, very gifted, is gone. And now that Ahithophel is on Absalom's side, it's game over. Absalom might not be much of a politician or head of state, but one good head, says Matthew Henry, is worth a hundred good hands. He's got a good head, Ahithophel. Gone from David. What a loss. All David's dreams, plans, and accomplishments up in smoke. What will you do, brothers and sisters? When God takes everything away, will I still put my trust in him? Will I still believe that his kingdom is secure, even when it looks like it's shaking and falling apart? When it seems that the ground beneath your feet is giving way, can you believe that when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay? We sing that, but what does that mean? Lord, when you take everything away and you wreck everything that I was doing, at least you seem to. Are you still there? Do you still care? Is your kingdom worth anything at all? And at that moment, David still grabs onto God's promises. What's God's promise to him? 2 Samuel 7. I will make your throne everlasting. I will make your kingdom everlasting, David. David believed that. 
He trusts that though God has the right to take this away, then in some way, God's going to bring him back. And, and he's, you see that in God's prayer or David's prayer to God. Oh, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And you see that when he sends Zadok and Abiathar and Jonathan and Ahimaaz with the ark back to the temple. I may go and see it again. And you see that when Hushai the archite comes with soil on his head and his torn, clothes torn, he says, go back. I want you to be an undercover agent in Absalom's kingdom. And I want you to frustrate the counsel of Ahithophel. David's actually, in a submission to God, looking for God to bring him back if that is God's good pleasure for his life. But it shows that though all around his soul gives way, he still knows the kingdom belongs to God. And he's still trusting the promise that whatever happens, the Antichrist is not going to take over and keep the kingdom. God has promised it. I believe it. It's totally up to God to give it back to David. But he's living by the power of God's promise even when everything is upside down. And so all these seeds of Christ's kingdom are still in Jerusalem. The ark, Zadok, Abiathar, their sons, now Hushai. And David is going to leave the kingdom altogether. He's going to cross the Jordan next chapter. He's going to be away, but he's going to be waiting and praying. For the Lord to do his work. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has purchased for you and me by faith an everlasting kingdom that can't be taken away. He's purchased for us riches and inheritance which are always ours. He's purchased us for a, a family, a, a family for us that is always ours. And when it even looks like everything is being taken away, God is still yours, the kingdom is still yours, Christ is still yours, his presence is still yours, his love is still yours, he still favors you, he's still on your side. And he will bring you to glory whatever pathway he chooses. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's live by faith, not by sight. Let's pray in faith according to the promises of God that he will overthrow all his foes and ours and he will bring us safely to his everlasting kingdom. He will make it all right in his time and in his way. We do not need to be afraid when everything's taken away. We still trust him, cling to his promises, follow him wherever he leads and knows he will do what's good.
He will do its good. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that through Christ your son, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God is secure. And no matter what hostile takeovers are attempted all through history, even now, no matter what success they might even appear to have, they cannot win. Christ is king and he shall reign forever and ever. And as your citizens, as your children, whether Israelites or Gittites, we may know that our inheritance is secure. Nobody can take that away from us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.